0: Welcome to today's content. I am very excited about our guest and I just want to make a couple of announcements before I introduce him. We have a Christian counseling conference coming up October 1st and 2nd and I just want to say it is going to be a very healing moment. I want to encourage all of you who didn't get signed up for the early bird registration, please go on and get signed up. You still may be able to catch it and it's going to be an incredible conference. We're going to be addressing a wide audience, ministers, lay folks, counselors. You don't have to be a counselor to come, but it's going to be an incredible uh, event where we're going to equip people and address things that people have been going through. So I just want to make a pitch for that. Now I want to introduce our guest. Marty Solomon grew up in the reformed tradition before attending Boise Bible College and getting his BA in Christian ministries. In 2008, he studied in Israel with Ray von der and was challenged to grapple with his own Jewish heritage. As he learned more about the wider conversation surrounding the Bible, especially through a Jewish context, he began to develop Bema discipleship as a way to share his experience with others. He found his way into impact campus ministries, thinking college students are in the perfect stage of life to experiment with methods he saw in Jesus. Marty began leading trips of his own to Israel and Turkey in 2014, after a few iterations of the Bema material, the Bama podcast was launched in 2016, making it accessible to a global audience. He and his wife, Becky are committed to the work of the ministry together and raising their two kids, Abigail and Ezekiel. Marty, welcome to the channel, brother.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here. That's
0: right. I appreciate it. I know you are busy. You are sought after, and I'm, I'm very grateful to, to be able to link up.
1: Yeah, no problem. I was glad to see your name again in my inbox. I know we've crossed paths a couple times. That was a fun invitation to see.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's get into this. Tell us a little bit about your conversion and why you went into the ministry.
1: Yeah. Uh depending on which audience I'm talking to, that could that could take a couple a couple different turns, but I <laughs> On some level, I've always struggled to nail down my my true conversion moment. I was raised in the church. Like I was one of those people nine months before I was born going to church. Um, My family was very, very uh, evangelical, fundamentalist uh, perspective and worldview. We just happened to grow up in the reformed tradition. Dutch reformed church. My family's not Dutch. We weren't even necessarily reformed, but that was the right church that they found to be home. And that was where I grew up. So I kind of grew up in that theological worldview, that neck of the woods. And that was a church that was deeply connected to Ray Vanderlaan, who would later influence my life. At that point, I didn't have really any appreciation of that. Um, So I always kind of like grew up in the faith. I grew up knowing Jesus. I I, I can literally remember being six years old, having a conversation with my mom uh, about accepting Jesus into my heart. Um, and then I can remember later as a teenager in the Reformed tradition, uh, taking on their understanding of baptism and becoming a part of that covenant community. And then I remember going to Bible college um, and learning about another tradition, a Stone Campbell tradition, appreciating how they saw the work of baptism and, and repentance and confession and conversion. And, and that was the church that I was starting to be connected with and find a home in. And so I wanted to align myself with that understanding. So I remember taking on the waters of immersion and like my first, was that my first year of Bible college? Um, and, and yeah, but these all just felt like steps along the journey for me, like, and in between all of those steps, I'm having all of these other, I don't know what you want to call it, like awakenings. I use that in a good sense. It's becoming more, I remember my senior year of high school, like owning my faith for myself. Um, and like, real, like, I had been living a faith that was kind of, I was just immersed in, like I grew up in, it was my parents' faith. It made sense. I wanted to say yes to it, but it was my senior year of high school when I went, no, this is me. Like, I want to make this decision. I want to follow Jesus. That's what led me into, like, there was a call to ministry. There was like, that was really my, the beginning of my, so at what, at what point in this journey, do I look back on it and go, well, that's the moment that there were just all these moments where I had the fortunate, it's really a fortunate blessing. I was raised in a family that loved Jesus. I I never, I've never known an existence where my family and the people closest to me and the people around me don't love Jesus. And I've had all kinds of moments where different traditions would say, that was your moment. That was your moment that, and I'm just like, great. Yes. Uh, has been very much a part of my life. I love him. I try to love him better every single day. And uh, yes, there you go. I don't know if that covers all the bases, but I love that's it. my journey. <laughs>
0: there's a lot of people that, that resonates with. I think that uh, what you just described is God's intervening in our lives throughout our entire life. It's not just this moment. We, we kind of focus on those those signature moments, but God God's at work the entire time. And he, after we get converted, there's many conversions even after that. Oh goodness. Yes. And I've had some crazy conversion moments after I was sealed into the covenant. It's yeah. There's so many that are there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Each one of them with this beautiful gravitas, like each one of them matters so much in so many different ways. Each one of them unique. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I like that.
0: All right. So why I brought you on today is I wanted to talk about legalism and I, I feel like your your, your content has been very healing for many folks who are wanting to put their faith in Jesus versus system. The last interview I had Diane Langberg, Dr. Diane Langberg, religious abuse expert, world-renowned. You and I were talking about her earlier. And, and that's kind of the, the, the pivot of where we were, which is there's this kind of fork in the road between trusting Jesus versus trusting system and system in, in a lot of ways is actually more is, is easier to trust <laughs> at times <clears throat> and so legalism is part about the relationship with the system versus relationship with Christ and it's it's hard there's cultural aspects there's socio-economical political psychological aspects there's all kinds of things that are tied to legalism it's not just one layer there's many different facets to it and so I want to start with understanding legalism in Jesus's day. I think sometimes we take legalism from our context and we miss the context that it was originally placed in. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about legalism in Jesus's day?
1: Man, legalism in Jesus's day. Um, Well, and I may, I don't want to screw up your interview questions here, Kyle. I may back up a little bit and just try to get my head around the concept of what is legalism. Absolutely. uh, Let me start there because... I feel like that's sometimes helpful. Like I think a lot of us look at any any system or any set of rules or any code and we call that legalism and we have this like um like this fantasy idea that that there's some existence out there where we don't have those rules and all those things have and yet for me I think what I have learned through studying this your your question which is the historical Like what I've learned from historical Judaism, second temple Judaism, the Judaism that Jesus interacted with is, um, there is, it's all about whether or not those codes, those systems and those rules are an end in and of themselves or a means to an end. If those rules and those systems and those codes facilitate that dynamic relationship with, I love how you worded that, Um, that what we want is a deeper relationship with Jesus and what's easier is a deeper relationship with a system. And that is so true. Static versus dynamic. And we love static because it can be manipulated and controlled and made efficient and effective and you can build on it and you can go places with it and you can conquer the world. Um, And yet there's this, um, either those systems and those codes and those rules are facilitating the relationship. Or the relationships are, it's all backwards. The relationships are facilitated. And legalism is getting those things backwards. So I love to just, uh, I love to say that because often when we think about legalism in Jesus' day, we're like, oh yeah, those Pharisees and all of their rules and all. And that misses the point because those Pharisees and their rules were coming from a deep seated place of devotion. And the rules and the, even the traditions that they were locked in. Was not the problem. I have a friend that has helped me learn more about this than anybody. His name is Moshe, and he has a shop in Old City Jerusalem in the Jewish Quarter, and he loves to talk to me about the Jewish understanding of all these rules and all these commands. And he says, he, he tells a story about his wife being pregnant. She said he woke me up. She woke me up at two in the morning. She's pregnant. She had a pregnancy craving. She says, Moshe, I need an orange. Go me, go get me an orange. She says, I go at two in the morning to the grocery store. I get an orange one of those 24-hour stores. I bring it home. I, I actually bring home a bag of 30 oranges. And she takes the one orange she wants. She throws the other 29 away. And he says, every Christian wants to know, why did you get 30 oranges? Why don't you get to one orange? He says, it doesn't matter. I love my wife and that is my gift. He says, Jews, when properly understanding their rules and their traditions and their halakha, Jews, it's not, we don't do this stuff because we believe it's demanded. We don't do this stuff because we believe it's required. We do this because it's our gift to God. And when those things are properly observed, all these rules, all these traditions, all these systems, all these codes, well, they facilitate a deeper relationship with God. When you get them out of, when you get it crooked, when you get it twisted, The relationships are serving, and we're all in danger of that. Judaism was in danger of that. Christianity is in danger of that. Those of us that are a part of a tradition that says we've thrown off legalism, we've thrown off all that, we're more in danger of that than we ever have realized because we just have unspoken codes, unspoken creeds. They're just not written down, but they exist nonetheless because it's always easier to gravitate towards them. So legalism... Uh, those are my thoughts on legalism and what i've learned from jesus jesus looked at the pharisees and said you're so wound up in your systems you've forgotten the very point of the systems in the first place but the systems themselves were not the problem have them don't have them but the point is god the point is loving god loving others and when your systems get in the way of that well now we've got we've got a problem on our hands
0: and i'm with you i think the pharisees get a bad rap i i've studied out the pharisees just lightly uh, and I would say, so two, two accounts. So I studied, uh, in, in during my sabbatical in July, I basically took Matthew and Matthew's essentially a polemic against the system. It's there's a contrast that Jesus invites us into, which is, well, w- what they do, okay. W- what they teach and what they do, there's a discrepancy they're incongruent. And so how they live out, what they teach is burdensome and what they call you to <clears throat> is burdensome because Jesus is more efficient he is torah and so following him gets you closer to god because he's he doesn't rep. you think of matthew 20 or matthew 11 come to me all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest Well, will rest from what well from lazy shepherds who don't help lift and so is this contrast that we're invited into but there's still o- obedience right it's it's a higher level right legalism i don't want to say in his escape hatch out of of total commitment to christ But it's interesting how legalism can can actually be less of a commitment in different ways so what jesus is inviting us into is wholehearted torah obedience versus these very inefficient ways that actually cut us down and cut us you know further from god and that was the system that had been grown in their day so it's it's anyway i just i think it's interesting what you're talking about i love it
1: yeah i i think the um like Two things came to mind as you were sharing that. One was, I think m- many of us would be stunned if we had watched Jesus live and saw how observant he still was. I think we get this like picture of like how rogue Jesus was, like always oh, breaking all the rules. And I think we'd actually be, and that's there are some points that are really, really key where the Gospels key in on how he did challenge a traditional view and how it's being lived out. And yeah, I think if we were to watch Jesus, we'd be like, holy cow, he's following a lot of those rules. How, how Jews understood, even in Jesus's day, this concept of law mm. and rules and, and traditions and the walk, it, they understood it as, this is all about how I think, not what to do. Mm. But this is not what to think, but how to think. And so what Jesus is doing and they, they've perfected that the Pharisees have perfected that they don't, they don't think the rules are the point or but they have taken the rules. They've collected it into a way to think, uh, this is, this is how we're going to interpret things. And what Jesus is doing is he's taking the same rules and going, nah, your, your, your thinking is actually incorrect. You Mm. can take those same rules and think differently. Let me teach you how to think about people rather than how to think about holiness Because I think the Pharisees had holiness and therefore people. Mm. And Jesus said, no, 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 people, therefore holiness. Wow! And he flips it on its head. Same rules. He doesn't achieve this by getting rid of the rules. He doesn't achieve this by getting rid of the codes. He just says, no, 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 you're holding it upside down. (laughs) It's like they have the filter. They have the glasses. And Jesus says, no, you got them on backwards. Let me spin it around. And now look at the law. And engage it from that worldview and that's what sets everybody ablaze is they're like no 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 no. we we know how to study the we know how to read it and jesus says no no you're you've been reading it backwards let me read it let me reread it for you
0: which is incredible and he's i think of you know just how john even talks about it Into some degree is that he is the father's exegete if you want to know what it means to please god everything we need to know is found in his example and we, will, we have 100% security that if we follow Jesus, then we're getting it right. Uh, back then, that right. was very risky. Now, when you've got, you know, a couple billion people who at some point have this understanding of Christ, right? That, you know, Christ is king and so forth. And, and there's a lot of diversity within the 2 billion people I'm thinking of. That Jesus, you know, is not a secret anymore. Back then, he was this Messiah. And it's like, wait, who is he? And he was prophesied but now we sort of have gotten our head around that and it, it's easy to miss how, um, how flammable what he was saying was to a people who had been exiled and violently deported and who were looking for a homeland.
1: Uh, absolutely, that, that, in, a, in a huge way. And because of that, the irony, the, ir- the deep irony in this conversation is that we've now taken, because Jesus is no longer new, and fresh we have now done the exact same thing with jesus wow that pharisees of old did with torah that you know all we just do this like religion always will gravitate towards the same mistake the same folly. and so we as jesus followers have done the same thing we, we know jesus we clearly understand what he's taught we all have bible college degrees we all you know we're taught all the things we've read the gospels lots of times we obviously know and we've done the exact same thing with jesus (laughs) that that he speaks against so that's the deep challenge and and yeah it's it's challenging for all of us for sure
0: that actually gets into our our kind of companion question here about legalism in our day i think it would we'd be hard pressed to to try to give an understanding of legalism without a little church history and this is the hard thing is that everything we're talking about has a setting it has a context there's reactions. I did an interview, a couple of interviews ago, with Gordon Ferguson, and we got into why are there so many conversion narratives, and what you see are these reactions that are based off of traumatic religious moments in human history, and you know then then it kind of goes into this. We we talked. I won't get too much into it, but this idea of everything's only symbolic, or everything is literal. You know, we have ordinance versus um, sacrament. And so those those have those roots in trauma, you know, the Reformation is based in trauma, Protestantism is based in trauma. And so uh, the context of what we're talking about today has a backstory even after we see the gospel. <laughs> and so that is part of why I think there's so many layers to this. And for the average person, it's confusing because the average person, Marty, isn't going to go and study church history or systematic theology, per se. They're, they're not gonna study all of those things. And so when we look at these, these, these questions that are very pertinent, sometimes it's hard to give people a basic understanding because there's so much that is there. What's a way to kind of simplify it for our just average listener? <clears throat>
1: Oh, golly, what a dangerous thing to try to do, Uh, Marty. (laughs) Marty, simplify things. Well, A, no matter what tradition we're in, you're absolutely right. And no matter what tradition we're in, we all have a history. Even some of those newest Mm. traditions have a history. Um, And and each one of those traditions have this historical context. And yet we all have dealt with the exact same thing. So Mm. you're right. All these movements are birthed out of some kind of corrective some kind of trauma, some kind of abuse, some kind of, whether it was just institutional abuse or theological abuse or or leadership corruption or whatever it is, like all, every single one of these movements kind of like grows out of this moment. And I think that the book that I always think of, which really isn't about this at all, but it has a a line of thinking that I found very helpful is the Battle for God by Karen Armstrong. And she talks about the three Abrahamic faiths Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, and where fundamentalism comes from in all three of those traditions. And she shows how it, it always is the same thing. Each one of these groups has a moment where they go into deep suffering, deep trauma, deep whatever. And the only thing that speaks into that moment is mythos, is what she, she talks about mythos and logos mythos not being like myth as an untrue but being more like poetic more art more image driven less definition and that's the only thing that's have you ever been like in a deep suffering place and had somebody try to explain logically your suffering that doesn't work like like the things that we even have experienced in this last year or two like you can only read so many blog posts before you're like oh good grief can everybody just stop giving their opinion but, what, but then you're, you're drawn to like music, like a song or great poetry or great art. Because when you're in the middle of deep suffering, that's what has the ability to speak to you because it's able to transcend all the garbage that you'll never be able to explain. But then you eventually come out of that moment. And what you do is you take this powerful mythos that rescued you and, and almost redeemed you from that moment of trauma. And then you start to turn it into logos. So then you take this thing that was all powerful for one reason, and you start to turn it into something it never was. And that's where the danger of fundamentalism, and I'm going to say legalism, often shows up, is in this moment of – and so to recognize that, that every moment, Reformation, uh, the charismatic movement, um, medieval enlightenment, uh, the Stone Campbell restoration, every single one of us has – a moment where we were birthed as an, as an effort to correct something, this beautiful corrective. And then as we live in it long enough, we start to codify things. And, and so noticing that in our own context and going, where does that code come from? Where does that, um, where does that, where does that system, where did that show up? And always, so how do we simplify it? Is, is this about something other than, I think I go back to that same there's, there's holiness in people. And are we concerned about, I, I think one of the simplest ways to ask it, this question is, are, are we more concerned about our rightness, our purity, our holiness, or are we more concerned about people? And, and is it our call to holiness and therefore we go save people? Or is it about people and therefore our call is to be holy? And I think that's probably not a great comprehensive tool, but one of the simpler ways, I have a diagram I I draw on the whiteboard all the time where it's like, there's an issue and there's what, and then there's, there's, there's the position on the issue. And, and we always love to cut the corner and just say, God said X, that's why this is moral or immoral. And that's, it's just this arbitrary, God said it. But what we forget is that God said those things for a reason. And the reason why God said these things were immoral is because it has an impact on people. And whenever you find yourself cutting the corner past people, around people, because there's some greater, more important thing. God. I mean, how many times does God have to come? Does Jesus have to tell us? Does Paul have to write? This whole thing hangs on one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like Jesus said, two commands. Paul summarized it in one command. But the whole the whole idea was the same thing love people and when you get when you get that out of whack when all of a sudden you're loving rules or systems or traditions or doctrine or purity more than people well well welcome to the camp of of legalism because we've now forgotten what the whole system was about because the whole thing was written from front to back for people it's about people
0: so you just you just i think that the way you summarize that is more than adequate for what i've asked in terms of what the simplicity is because that's how jesus broke it down and you i think it's safe to reduce it down to one command because we know that you actually can't live out loving god if you're not loving his image bearer it's it's we are made in his image it's a form of loving god so you can't separate it um and i i think that just in terms of legalism for the average person i mean there's been like you said correct corrections in in many different types of movements those corrections in the moment feel safe feel like there's a certain amount of certainty people are, are i say it all the time they look for security and changing times and this is definitely one of those moments but people look for certainty and i think fundamentalism this has been coming up a lot in interviews fundamentalism has a relationship with certainty and even when you look sociologically what's interesting is you study different personality structures This is interesting, here's what you find. There are certain personality structures that have a certain need for closure or conclusion or really certainty. Those types of personality types are typically early to stereotype. And so that they're very binary. It doesn't take, they don't need a lot of information to make a determination. So there's a lot of assumptions, a lot of toxic assumptions that can be made about situations, groups of people, because of this inordinate need for certainty. And so certainty can be an opiate for groups of people. You can sell certainty, you can monetize it. There's a way to offer it. And that certainty, I think in some ways has been probably sublimated into fundamentalism. Fundamentalism to me, and I, I really want your definition of funda- fundamentalism. But fundamentalism to me is this, we've we've got a lot of certainty and no offense because i think reform tradition has a lot of incredible things i really do that being said i think this aspect of certainty has really shaped reform theology in a very interesting and puzzling way <laughs> for me um but certainty anyway so you can comment on that but also this idea of fundamentalism i think i'd love your definition on that
1: oh man i was so unprepared to give a definition of fundamentalism That's good question. <laughs> um i I do love what you're saying. And it, it's true for all of us. Um, it, it's it, all of, and one of the cases I make in the podcast, by the time you get to the end of session five, spoiler alert, um, is I, this is true for all Western, all Western Christianity. This is what we do. We just exchange one static definition. The moment it breaks, we go create another one. And we, but you're right, certainty. And that certainty has two two prongs to it a defensive and an offensive on the defensive side the reason we love certainty is because it gives us that sense of security because at the heart of the human condition and i've said this in the podcast too i don't believe i think sin is the byproduct of the actual condition i know that's very unsexy in christian theology i I think augustine was the one that told us that sin was the root of the human condition i don't think that's biblically accurate i think fear is what the bible keeps trying to show us fear and insecurity and sin is the byproduct of that fear. Ergo, love, trust, acceptance. That's why it's the antidote to this whole thing. Because I sin as a byproduct to something that's something deep in me, and it's that fear. And so we always love to try to solve that fear problem on our own rather than with the way that God invites us to. And so we love security because it's this false God, it's this idol. Um, Certainty, excuse me, is the word you use, because certainty gives me security and certainty allows me to codify. And again, Western Christianity has been built on this expansive need conquest. Like we're going to spread this worldview. We're going to be in charge. We're going to win. We're going to conquer and we're going to conquer. And, and if it's, if it's certain Well, then I can use it. If it's certain, I can mold it and I can use, I can put it in a furnace and I can shape it. And I can, if it's certain, I can now control it. The moment that it's less certain, like the moment you invite me to trust the story, dumb podcast, Marty, trust this. Well, I can't, I can't mold that. I can't shape, trust the story. I can't, I can't live in a dynamic relationship where I'm not in charge. I'm a partner with God. Like I'm his bride, it, he's, it's his story. Well, well now I don't get to take it. I don't get to mold it. I don't get to control it. I don't get to shape it. I don't get to conquer with it. But that's that was never our invitation was to conquer and to shape and to... So that's why we love, We it is, I love you called it an opiate. Certainty, oh baby. And we just keep like, oh no, they got it wrong, but we got it right. And we've, we've now done this for 2000 years. Like, uh, I can't believe we can't see the folly in that, but the Western world just continues to double down on, well, we'll, we'll, we'll correct it. And then we'll have the, we'll, we'll get our doctrine all figured out. Then we'll get the system all codified. Then we'll finally have it accurate and accuracy was never what God was inviting us to relationship. That's what he was inviting us to.
0: Love it. And I just love how you sprinkled in uh, in as much as possible, share more about your podcast, uh, that your podcast is something that's very, very helpful. I think there's a fourth cornerstone that you have called wrestle. Yep. And to me, wrestle, I've, the last, ever since I heard that, I heard we were on that one podcast with Atoma. Shout out to Atoma, Image Bears. Yep. You would, the fourth, and I remember that wrestle just stuck out to me. And, And what legalism feels like it does is it completely annihilates that. Where's yep. the wrestle in certainty? Where's the wrestle in system? Where's the wrestle in fundamentalism? Right? And yeah. Say yeah. more about that.
1: Yeah, I I I I couldn't agree more. I think one of the reasons why that's in there is one of my four pillars uh, of my teaching, um, which that sounds weird when it comes out of my mouth. It's kind of a tongue in cheek. Like <laughs> it's my it's my effort to simplify like what are the big One of the big ideas behind my body of work, and one of the four big ideas is is wrestling. And I think the reason that makes the list is because it does it. If we're wrestling, it's always inviting us to reconsider, reconsider these systems, reconsider these codes, reconsider these doc, like whatever whatever it is that needs to be reconsidered, reconsider it because this thing that God is doing is beyond us. It's above us. He's too big for our bucket. Um, And so I always have to be wrestling because it's dynamic and who knows where God is going next, but it's his story. It's his plan. It's his journey. I'm a partner. Like I need to remember my place. And yet, and yet wrestling, what an audacious, like we talk about chutzpah, like what a chutzpah laden thing to think that I can wrestle, not just with myself internally and not just with others, but I'm, I'm wrestling with God. Like God wrestles with me, which he repeatedly shows in his text over and over. He wrestles with Jacob in a very literal sense. He wrestles with Abraham even before that on the hill outside of Sodom and Gomorrah. What if there's 50 people? What about 45, 40, 35, 30, 20, 10? How about that? Um, Like this ongoing engagement. He engages with Moses on top of the mountain. He engages with his prophets. He engages with Elijah. He engages with the New Testament church. In the book of Acts, as they're wrestling with what to do with Gentiles, and he shows up in the, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. What in the world does that mean, seems good to the Holy Spirit? Like, what a crazy idea. I was taught that there was a concrete, or there was a, there was a truth, and I would pray, and the Holy Spirit would tell me truth, and then I, my job was to go do it. And yet I have this crazy story in the New Testament, and it's not the only one, where it says the Holy Spirit it seemed good to the Holy, Sp- like the Holy spirit was at the table with them that day, like engaging the conversation, wrestling with them. And we all came to this together. And one of those, one of those people in the, they is the Holy spirit. Like, wow, that, well, that, that is going to be in a lot of ways. It is going to be an antidote to fundamentalism an antidote to, and I don't even think fundamentalism is like this horrible disease. Like legalism could be fundamentalism can be held. I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to be careful. I don't throw fundamentalism under the bus too far. Um, I'm thankful for my fun. Like it was fundamentalism that taught me to love Jesus in the Bible above all else. I'm very thankful for that. Um, and then I kept loving Jesus in the Bible and I, went, I ended up somewhere else, but nevertheless, it was them that taught me Marty above all else, love Jesus and love your scriptures. Um, so anyway, those, those are all some scattered thoughts as I process out loud what you asked, but, yeah
0: the the thing that i would say that we all need to be on guard against is rigidity and what trauma does is it gets things to go together in ways that are very rigid trauma doesn't allow two things to be true at the same time and we're dealing with the part of the brain that doesn't ask for permission we are embodied beings like we are we're very integrated like for the jew the heart and the brain were in the same place (laughs) that it wasn't disintegrated like we see with hellenistic you know, philosophy, it, it was integrated. And so when you think of Shema to hear that, that's like, okay, I hear, but obey. It wasn't di- differentiated out, it was all one. And I think to some degree, this, this whole conversation has to do with thinking and feeling. It has mm-hmm. to do with integration of uh, I'm able to feel and I'm able to think at the same time. And I don't get stuck in the part of my brain that thinks or the stuck in the part of my brain that feels. That's what trauma does is it sticks you in one of those hemispheres. And that's where you exist in a reactive state. I think that a lot of folks in fundamentalism, you'll find a lot of folks who are stuck in the left part of the brain where they can think and not feel, or they can feel, but not think trauma gets that to happen on a global scale, because then you get groups of people who are the thinkers or groups of people now who are the feelers and now they go to war and they fight in a worldly way. And that's not what God is calling us to. He's calling us to be integrated. Now, I think a lot of this would be better facilitated if we had a more effective understanding of healthy ritual. And when I think of legalism, I think it's ritual that has gone through a mutation, ritual that is disconnected from, like you had mentioned, the principle of, okay, why does God give 613 commandments that we see in Old Testament. Okay, what, what are those 613 commandments reflective of? Well, they're reflective of what you had talked about really of loving your neighbor. But now we take that into situations where we have been shaped through trauma, and now our trauma shapes our theology. And, and so now we, we have a large groups of people who are just reacting but they're not really looking at what's being reenacted something. There's a story like you're talking about trusting the story. There's a story here <laughs> that we haven't been curious enough about how to lean into. One of the things that I find with, with, with the story is that we don't have the pieces to tell it and ritual. When you look at trauma hermeneutics ritual, healthy ritual is what helps people to figure out how to have this like what you would call cohesive story. Ritual is what gets people thinking and feeling. Like as a therapist, when people come through my office, I'm helping them to think and feel and broaden their perspective throughout their body. Ritual does that. And when I look at when I look at Jewish culture and scripture, I see healthy ritual everywhere because it helps the human being To not get stuck in one part versus ritual was this entire ecosystem that allowed the people to have a deeper process that in our very westernized, overly rationalistic society, we now have sterilized out. And so people get stuck in things that back then people had a better way to be able to connect with in order to process. And so you're Mm -hmm. seeing, anyway, I'm going on a rant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I like it though, it's a good one. (laughs) Healthy ritual is in. we can't actually get to the other side of what we've been through without right. healthy ritual. And that, yep. that's something I kinda wanna launch into for a moment. I love that you, let me go back to something you said earlier about the oranges. It, I think to some degree for, for the Christian person who just feels like it's sola fide or, you know, faith alone or whatever. Um, for us, we look at anything that was prescriptive in terms of Jewish culture as a work or legalistic. And it's not true. We, we have Western eyes that are very disconnected from the culture, the rich culture behind the ritual that we see with the Jewish heritage. And I just I'm wondering for you, what have you done to help Christians maybe reexamine what they understand about the legalism that we see within Judaism?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I'd start by just affirming, like, obviously we know how God feels about ritual. He like gives it to his people left and right. He knows that we're tangible human beings, um, especially Easterners, even more so for them, but I don't think it's any less true for us Westerners. We just don't gravitate to it in the same ways, but God loved to give people tangible, like the festival. So I just got done, uh, yesterday as we record this, um, i just got done yesterday with yom kippur like it's the the one of the high holidays, um at, and i love the festivals because of their ability like uh, one of my big uh kind of my big passions that i try not to pass on to other people because there's a million ways to see this this isn't a right or wrong thing because then it would be legalism um but i love to just like <laughs> holidays holidays are one of the ways that we tell our cultural narratives more than anything else. And I think we just kind of think like, oh, they're just holidays. Oh, man. But as a child, you do this thing every single year, like like clockwork. You grow up in this thing and it tells you a story, uh, it tells you a narrative. And I, this is not like, I'm not trying to poo-poo on all the pagan I'm not making a point about the paganness of the holidays, although that would be another fun podcast. Um, but all these things tell stories, um, Halloween and Thanksgiving and then Christmas and 4th and of July and all, all these things tell narratives, some of them good, some of them maybe questionable, whatever. But God told, God set up festivals too, and they told stories and narratives. Um, and I am not suggesting that Gentiles should I actually have a big thing about Gentiles probably not engaging the jewish holidays and appropriate and they like to appropriate those things but one of the things i've learned through my jewish ritual is its ability to teach my kids like year after year after year they get uh, the story gets reinforced and every year we we dive into these rituals asking questions about okay is it we're not just going through the motions although i'm sure that exists out there with some people they struggle with just going through the motions But every year we dive in as a family and go, what is this ritual about? What was the meaning of this? How can we teach this in the same way, but a different way this year? How can we look at this? How can we engage this? How can we discuss this? And it's such a powerful way to tell. I mean, my kids just, we just sat around the, the coffee table in our living room yesterday, 26 hours of fasting. At about hour 23, we all pull out our journals where we've been writing about all of our sins. And we talk about all the things we engage in the work of confession. And we don't, for, like nobody's forced in our family to share anything they don't want to share, but we just talk about the things that we've done better this last year and the things we still need to do better next year. And we talk about atonement. We talk about forgiveness. We talk about repentance and why relationships matter and all of this. And then, And then we go take those pieces of paper and we go throw them in a river while we utter the words of Micah chapter seven, he has thrown our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Like these are powerful. And yes, I could just get lost in going through the motions. Sure, sure, sure. We could just write the list out, do the thing, but man, we haven't, that's not, that hasn't been the experience. So God, God must love ritual. He gives it, he tells us people to put tassels on the corners of their garments. Um, Like he, he loves physical, tangible reminders that are, that are just like you said, they're able to engage us physically. It's an invitation to physical participation, not just intellectual participation. And there's a bridge and especially in the Protestant world, we threw off all of the, all of the, um, uh, oh, why did I just lose Uh, uh, baptism, Lord's supper, Uh, Why am I, why am I drawing a blank on the theology? Sacrament, thank you. We threw off all sacrament. We threw off all these traditions. We threw off like all this because of, because of a traumatic uh, misuse of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But instead of reclaiming them, instead of retelling the story, we threw it off and then, but we can't live. What's that? What I find so interesting is we can't live without ritual. So we recreate them in all these weird, dark corners, but they never are like officially ever really created. So the beauty of ritual of like calling it what it is, but holding it loosely, I loved bringing, like, I loved pastoring a Stone Campbell church and talking about Advent. Not as a legalistic, you have like, let's just take five weeks and just talk through like Advent. Let's just preach. And people were like, what? What is this crazy witchcraft? Um, Five weeks of Christmas, but it it started to help us really consider and reflect on the coming of the Christ child. And, and all of a sudden you find yourself like leaning in, and we're not holding ritual in a, you know, a, a, a crazy um, wacky way. It's not legalistic. It's just, Hey, here's a tradition that Christians have engaged in. And I love being able to pull from the basket, all the things that Christians have done throughout the years and go, let's just use this for a while. And for a while, I mean like a while, like, like let's my, my, our church, our Stone Campbell church, I attend closes with the doxology. And every time I smile, cause it's such a reformed ritual, <laughs> but it's so beautiful. Like nobody's holding it that way, but who can, who can deny praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him, all creatures here below. Like, come, like, come on, that's so, that's just so why, why couldn't everybody engage? So ritual just has this. I've probably strayed off your question at some point, Kyle, but ritual has such a beautiful way of communicating that doctrine, definitions, a sermon, a teaching, just words, prose. I guess maybe ritual is a way that lets, art is able to creep in. Um, we, We in the Western world have just so over glorified the brain, the intellect, the thought. Um, and so we created whole other movements that were like, just, you described it really well, that are feelings based, where thought is almost the enemy. And what ritual does is, especially for us Western thinking traditions, is it allows feeling awesome. to creep in, in in a beautiful way. So anyway, th- those are some of my random no, you, scatter.
0: You hit, you hit it on, nail on the head. And I just want to say for our listeners, we are inviting you into the paradox. And as my good buddy Dave said, maturity is about paradox. Mm -hmm. I'm asking people to do the the hardest thing you can ask someone to do is to hold a both hand. As a human being, especially when we've been through very traumatic experiences, it's hard to hold this idea of legalism. In other words, we can turn something into a relationship that like the Bible, I don't uh, have a relationship with the Bible, I have a relationship through the Bible. Right. Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. so again, Hey, legalism is where we make something relational. That is, it's not an end, but we make it an end. And then over here in terms of, you know, healthy ritual, this is a a way that, you know, and I think narcissism is partly to blame when I think of how that has shaped, how we think about the flesh and how we think about the body and the part of us that needs to get out of this corrupted flesh. And symbolically we're, we're taking things a little too literally, but anyway, I want to make sure for our listeners. I get that some of you are, you've been through the windshield. You really have. And there's this part of us that maybe we thinking, oh, we need to leave our faith setting that we're in, our church, whatever we're in. And I want you to really slow yourself down because our pacing goes up when we don't trust the process, when we don't trust the story, We, we get stuck in it. And so I think for a lot of people, there's a lot of reactivity that I've noticed that I just want to sort of address just for a moment. And, and I get it like this, this is a refreshing podcast wherein, Hey, you know, people can come who've been very much exiled in their own churches and families and and whatever. And this also this other part of, we are still called to be fully embodied creatures who are worshiping with all of us. We're not here to lower the standard that Jesus is calling us to. It's a really high bar and it's really hard to live out. And the reality is that legalism is, a, is an escape hatch within the heart. And, and I think a lot of people are looking for restoration and I just want us a, a both in, which is, hey, there's a lot of legalism and there's a lot of religious abuse that's occurred. And over here, we still have a responsibility to heal. And that's the paradox that's so hard for so many of us because we don't feel safe. And legalism will strip an environment of safety. It will, because everything is measured in the wrong way. And, and, I, and I and I want for our listeners to just, for a moment, I want you to just accept the paradox and then grow from that place. Don't silo yourself in a perspective and become rigid because in that, you'll be, you'll, you'll, your resiliency will decrease significantly. So I just want to make that Marty, because you know, both of our atmosphere, both of our spheres, if you will, attract folks who are trying to heal, <laughs> but we have oh, yeah. to help people to realize that there's a both. And this isn't, Oh, I, I can now, I'm not going to do obedience or something. No one is saying that. And I want to make that very, very plain. My, Marty, I love the example that you give, gave with your family too, by the way, about how you guys celebrated ritual and so forth. I I just wanted to say that very briefly.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the things that you're saying is like about paradox is so important because again, it goes back to that need for security. We're going to go one direction or the other in this conversation because there's a danger on that other side. Well, there's a danger on either side. That's life. Like wisdom is being able to see there's always a danger. And our call is to live in the midst midst of these dangers very intentionally and appropriately, but we always live in this tension of something over there, something over there. That's the whole process of wisdom and discernment and applying these things in a way, just because there's a danger, like some people might be like, well, we can't get into ritual because the danger is, of course there's a danger. And it's good that we know that because we've got to hold that, that's, that, uh, that's where fear is appropriate. Like fear is not always our enemy. Sometimes fear, I love, I think it was uh, Elizabeth Gilbert that talks about fear. Fear needs to be on the ride. They just don't get to sit in the driver's seat or ride shotgun. But fear needs to be in the back seat somewhere. Because it's fear that keeps us from doing stupid things. It's fear that reminds us that actually you can do this wrong. It's fear that, so fear has a, it's good that we know there's a danger. But just because there's a danger doesn't mean the thing doesn't need to be completely and totally engaged the right way because i think we run into these like lies that there is no paradox and if i get everything aligned correctly there are no dangers and that's just not that's not accurate there's always a danger of whatever we're doing whichever way we're leaning and we have to live in that tension again that's why wrestling is such a big idea for me because wrestling says paradox to me i love your word paradox cuz that's very Jewish. They talk about double point truth all the time. I love Fiddler on the Roof. On the one hand,
0: but on the other hand,
1: but on the other hand, and that's the space that God's people have always lived in. And it, it could change. It, it changes because the world changes and we change. And, and so we live in that space dynamically, but we're fully alive. And that, that's the point.
0: Well, right now, it's really hard for pastors, goodness. Your your congregation could be in dumpster fire mode. Uh, You've got collections of churches who have become even more fractured. The last 18 months has been very fracturing. People are disoriented. People feel de-skilled. A lot of ministers are in kind of damage control mode and it's hard to reach your people right now. There's a lot of other voices that they're connected to and my heart goes out to pastors because it's very lonely and you talk about certainty, this is a time where I, I don't know that there really is any certainty for many 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 who are pastors. You know there's a lot of job insecurity right now trying to lead congregations and I love your standpoint, which is you are you, I've, I've listened to you, man, just about different things that you, you know, you've been discipled through and you're not trying to go in and, and, and be the voice in a person's congregation. Although you do realize people look at you as a resource, it, you're a, you're an ally for pastors. And I think, I think sometimes we just have to overtly remind people of that. Like, Hey, we're, we're allies. We're, we're in the same Jersey, different positions, same Jersey, right? And I just, I just want want to give you a moment to speak some truth and some encouragement into what pastors are going through.
1: Yeah. And I've seen this everywhere that I've traveled around the country and in our, in the tradition that I belong to outside the tradition I belong to, it's just true everywhere. It's been an unbelievable, difficult time to be a pastor anywhere, uh, to be a leader anywhere, no matter what you do, uh, there's a group saying that you're not doing it right. Um, pandemic, masks, uh, all kinds of conversations, political conversations, justice, how to engage issues of justice. It's just no matter what, no matter what you do, you feel like you can't do it right. And so many of these people, so many of them just want to like, there are some that are like really confident, maybe even overconfident and have, but so many of them, I would say most of the ones that I meet are just like, I just want to do the right thing. Like I just want to shepherd God's people appropriately, and I'm just trying, and I feel like everybody hates me. So I, I get that. Um, and and encouragement to those that are hanging in there, uh, and, and we're losing more and more and more pastors all over evangelicalism during this season because of how difficult it's been. So I would just affirm that, and I w- I wouldn't have any answers or or quick fixes to that. It's important that we're, it's important that we know that and that we're trying to be healthy. Um, because as we're, as we struggle with our own health, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, relational health, if we are alone, which is the tragedy with far too many pastors, we are, we're alone. We don't have enough relationships. We don't have groups of other leaders or pastors that we get to honestly sit around a a fire on the back porch and be honest and open and vulnerable with. Uh, what every human being needs and far too many leaders and the danger of all of that is if we're not healthy if we're not then that comes out of us at some point as leaders and so it's super important that we're seeking the counseling if we need it we've got the therapy it's super important that we have the relationships and we lean into them um It's, it's super important that we're aware of what's going on inside of us because of how it comes out of us. If we have, like, we just talked about Christians in general and what we do with fear and insecurity. If we're wrestling as, as Christian leaders with fear and insecurity, something like think of Cain, like God comes to Cain and God says, Cain, I realize like, you may not like, this is a bad season for you. You, you probably wish you could go back and do some things differently, but why are you downcast and why is your like lift your chin up because if you like if you do what's right you'll be accepted like there's nothing like you can just do the next right thing and this is all going to be okay if you don't though this is going to be really really dangerous and we know how the Cain and Abel story ends uh, he doesn't heed that warning and we have to as Christian leaders like be really really aware of hey what are we are we emotionally healthy Are we spiritually healthy? How are we doing? What's our fear and our insecurity meter doing? Because if we can do the next right thing and trust, we'll we'll be accepted. We'll be just fine. We'll be just fine. If we don't, uh, tragedy could sit at our door and we need to master that beast. And uh, so those are, yeah, it's not easy to be a pastor right now. And, And even more important to just know how healthy we are and have a good read on This is a season where hopefully we're taking care of ourselves as spiritual leaders. That's what I, that's, and I, I, I wish that were more, I wish there were maybe, I I, I don't know. I've, I've had a lot of great mentors, Kyle, and I'm really indebted to that because they, this seems like a normal conversation for me and I'm realizing more and more it's not normal enough. Like enough pastors have not been told, take care of yourself. Enough pastors have not been told, make sure you have those relationships enough pastors have not been told go to therapy Um, because yeah. And that's super important. We have to be healthy. We have to lead out of a place of our own health, spiritual discovery and all those things.
0: Well, the legalism is gonna be more attractive and really seductive the more we are, like you had said that we're, we're insecure, we're uncertain okay, we become very susceptible to legalism at that point because I need something that is kind of going to be on autopilot. We need some predictability. We need to routinize something and make something routine. System can, can help at times feel like, okay, healthy structure. Well, when we become overly dependent on that structure and then we kind of need that, then we can't, we can't work outside of it and we need it because we don't know how to take care of ourselves or whatever. And I'll just say commercial break for a moment. I'll in October next month, I think on the 20th or 21st, I'll be doing a webinar for ministers around the world for it's a minister's health webinar. And I'm going to be talking about how, if you're a pastor to consider the effects of trauma on you Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. how, like, what are your next steps? And, and, and how is a minister, uh, has that creeped into our lives? Because, The research is, is that pastors don't really know what to do with trauma in their congregations, let alone their own lives. Even in seminary, there's only a couple categories that they really hit, which is like if you're going to, you know, funerals, um, you know, and, 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 you know, ceremonies and so forth like that. But when it comes to some of the stuff like homicide, suicide, pastors, if you look at the research, they don't know what to do with that stuff. Sexual abuse, pastors don't really know what to do with that. And then that stuff happens in their families and has to be processed. So I appreciate your compassionate uh, perspective. And, you know, guys, I just want to say too, let's keep our pastors in prayer. I I get that for some of us, we see them as exclusively as the perpetrator. Uh, And yet also if we were to see them as an image bearer in totally who they are, you know, I think that would help to shape and we could soften our critique just a little bit. Guys, I also know there's legitimate trauma people need to be held accountable for. And and I don't want to do an, any kind of escapability for any of that. I'm just simply saying that we need to both and. And again, both and is difficult. It's very Pastors are people just like everyone else. It, we're going to move on. If there's anything else you want to say with that, let me know. But we're going to.
1: No, I'm good. I'm good. I could, but I'm good.
0: <laughs> any announcements, any announcements that you'd like to share with us, bro? You got a lot going on. You got, I mean, you got YouTube. The podcast is unbelievably helpful. If people are using your content worldwide, I mean, it's, it's, you have something very, very blessed.
1: Yeah. Uh, just trying to steward. Like my word is stewardship. Uh, that's been my word for quite a while. And I just want to be a good steward with the things that God's, given me and, and, and ask me and this steward and then whatever he does with it to continue to try to steward that as best as I can. Um, so that's my word for that. Uh, yeah. If you want to know any of those resources, um, I'm pretty booked up for speaking engagements for quite some time. I'm a little, uh, I feel like I'm drowning right now in that regard, but if you go to martysolomon.com, you can find my YouTube channel. You can find the podcast baymottdiscipleship.com is your shortcut to that. Um, but any other like appearances like this kind of, a. Conversation I'm having with you today. You can find a link there. You can find my upcoming schedule. You can t- study tours to Israel, Turkey. All all the good stuff is there. Um, and uh, I am headed off on Monday to a writing retreat. I'm under contract for a book, so hopefully about you know I don't know a year from now you'll start yes. hearing start hearing some more uh, as that pre order and we start promoting that. But uh, hopefully that will be a fun resource and a fun tool. But yeah, I think those are the, those are the fun goodies that are coming. We're working on some things that I can't talk about um, because who knows if they'll become a thing or not, but we're working on, we're always trying to just work on helpful resources for a lot of the things that you're asking about. And we're going to, we're going to try some ideas. Some of them might work. Some of them might not, but that's the beauty of what we're doing. So yeah, that, that, that There you go. Go there.
0: Well, we absolutely will. Well, I want to tell you, as I tell all my guests, that we are with you and God is for you, my brother.
1: Yeah, thank you, Kyle. It's been a great time hanging with everybody today.
0: Well, if you've watched through the entire interview, I want to thank you very, very much for your time. It is a precious commodity and we honor it. I want to thank you for continuing to like, share, subscribe. Guys, the channel has grown like crazy. You guys are convicting and hungry and, and examples, and please continue to email me. I will do my best to get back with you. Give me a couple weeks. It's it's starting to get a bit crazy there. Uh, Like I said, we have the counselors conference coming up. Please register for that. And the minister's health webinar, if you go to my website, you can sign up for my newsletter and I have all my speaking engagements and all the stuff that you uh, can sign up for and you won't miss anything. I'll see you guys next time. All right.